Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. My name is Stacey Hillier, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join me, some of my friends from all walks of life, as we chat about how the prophetic is purposed to build both the church and to break outside of her four walls into your world. We'll chat to prophetically minded people who will inspire you. They come from all walks of life, somebody for everyone to relate to. And each conversation has the purpose of equipping you to prophetically build and lead in the places and spaces that God has placed you. So let's go. to the podcast everybody thank you so much for joining me again today we tackle another sphere one that's under the microscope at the moment definitely we are going to chat all things within the sphere of government and what an important time it is for those who work in this space in the context of our world's landscape a global pandemic and we really need to be praying for our friends and those who are in government right now. But before we get to meeting a friend today and chatting about all things government, let's regroup for a moment on why it is important for us to talk about the seven spheres as prophetic people. I'm going to read you a quote from James Goll, who writes in his book, The Prophet, In the past few years, I've been prophesying and teaching about kingdom consultants or prophetic solutionists, prophetic men and women whose ministry is not confined to the church mountain, but rather extends into a wide variety of secular settings. Their expertise and sensitivity to the spirit enable them to advise and influence and affect change, sometimes at high levels in government, education, media, and more. These anointed men and women of God are part of the church, but not stuck there. God gives them moments of prophetic revelation that can be turned into movements of prophetic reformation. They are kingdom administrators, shedding the powerful light of God into dark places that up to that time have been devoid of kingdom influence. They possess keen insight and they develop inspired strategies that make true kingdom-oriented reformation possible in places that may never have uttered the name of Jesus. They are walking in the footsteps of the great ones such as Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. They mind that they find themselves in positions not of their own choosing, but they recognize that they have been positioned by God for such a time as this. Just like Queen Esther, they take it upon themselves to surrender to God's guidance and come up with radical solutions, sometimes sticking their necks out and taking big risks. I love that. Kingdom consultants and prophetic solutionists. Brilliant. Is that how you see yourself as you operate in your sphere? Because that's what we're talking about in this collection. Kingdom consultants, prophetic solutionists, wherever God has placed you. Today, we focus on government. And so a real life example of this kingdom consultant and prophetic solutionist in the space of governmental influence could be somebody like William Wilberforce. 
He was the English MP whose lifelong commitment led to moral reforms, including the abolishment of slavery in England in 1834. Or what about Martin Luther King Jr., a prophetic solutionist who had a dream from God for racial equality? He was both a Baptist minister and a social activist who became the most visible spokesman and leader in the American civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. And there are many more. Now, I absolutely love this story from Chris Vallotton, whose Metron is the church and government. Now, if you've never heard the term Metron before, we may talk about Metrons or spheres of interest in a future podcast. But Chris Vallotton was invited to the White House for the National Prayer Breakfast with around 3,700 other people. And they gather for three days every year to hear the President of the United States of America address believers from every religious group and also to pray for the country. And after the corporate address, people break into smaller groups to dialogue and pray about various subjects. So here we find Chris, who was asked to speak to one of the small groups, and the topic he was given was empowering women. And after the session, about 30 or 40 people kind of lingered in the room and he was making small talk as you do, but he happened to be making small talk with a high government official from a foreign country who had his wife with him. Now, they hardly spoke English, but they managed to find out that this man Chris was talking to was actually going to be running for president when he returned home. And Chris was having trouble focusing on the conversation, firstly because of the language barrier, but also because all he could see was a vision of a sword sticking out of the wife's stomach. And it was so vivid and so distracting that because of the setting, he kind of hesitated. But in the end, it just would not leave him. He's just seeing this sword out of this official's wife's stomach. And so he decided to take a risk and blurt it out to her. You have a sword in your stomach right there. And they looked puzzled because they could barely speak English. So he repeated it. There's a sword in your stomach. And she kind of said, sword, where? And pointing to the exact spot on the side of her belly, he indicated a spot where she stammered that she had been experiencing extreme pain for over three years. And she'd sought heaps of medical help and they couldn't find anything wrong. So Chris says to her, if I pull the sword out, the pain will stop. And so he insisted again, can I pull the sword out? And they finally nodded. And so Chris grabs the handle of the sword and jerks it out of her. And so suddenly she goes unconscious, falls backwards onto the floor. This is in the White House, people. <laughs> and people thought she had fainted, but Jesus, but Chris kind of informed this growing audience, no, 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 she hasn't fainted. This is Jesus. She's in a trance. I mean, totally normal happenings in the halls of power, right? And so some of the Bethel team that were there with him stepped in and began to pray for her as she spent time in this spiritual trance. And she woke up and in her broken English, all she could say was all pain gone, all pain gone. And as they headed off from the gathering, Chris got into this crowded elevator and all of a sudden, all these people hopped into the elevator with him and they're like, are you that guy who pulled the sword out of that lady? And then proceeded to be like, have I got any swords? Can you see anything in me? I mean, don't you love it? I mean, our stories might not be as dramatic as this, but what I hope this story does do is encourage you to step out boldly wherever God has placed you. You can't go much higher in the halls of power than the White House. And here we have this prophet 
whose hunger for that woman's freedom in Christ was so much greater than any fear of even the most powerful of men and women that he stepped out in radical obedience and she was healed. We need a little bit more of that in our world today. Let's think about Daniel for a moment. He's a prophet in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the Bible. He was stolen and exiled to Babylon, away from his family, away from everything he'd ever known, thrown into a culture where his gift ended up placing him before the king, literally. And through radical faith and obedience to God, through his moving in the prophetic, through dream interpretation, receiving revelation from God and reporting it to King Nebuchadnezzar, he was elevated to a position of governmental leadership and influence. Proverbs 18.16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. I believe this is true when we step out in operating in the gifts of the spirit, which in another podcast we've talked about appears, they appear in eight passages in the New Testament, none of those exhaustive lists. But the main place that we refer to is 1 Corinthians 12. And this outlines the spiritual gift of prophecy. So we could make this scripture a man's prophetic spiritual gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. That was certainly what happened in Daniel's lives. Daniel's life. And when we're bold enough to step out and prophesy according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, we will be brought before the greatest people with the greatest influence. Do you believe that is possible? When I say that, do you discount yourself and say that could never happen with me? Well, I have a friend whose life is a living testament to just that. So now I get to introduce you to him. His name is Brett, and he's joining me for a conversation today. Brett works for the Victorian government and has recently moved to a new department where God's been using his life of obedience to Christ to influence culture. Sounds a little bit like Daniel. So welcome to the party, Brett. <laughs> I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Pastor Stacey. Seriously, it's such an honour and privilege. I have been gleaning so much from this podcast week in, week out. So to be a part of this is such a true honour. So thank you. You are so sweet. The honour is all mine. So why don't you tell all the peoples, all the listeners, a little bit about what you do and what area of the government you work in? Yeah, sure. So I've actually been working for the Victorian government for the past 10 years, um, which has just gone like the blink of an eye. And so Mm -hmm. um, I've worked in many different departments um, in a variety of different roles over the past 10 years, but have recently come on board to Department of Education and Training in their corporate sector Mm -hmm. and have joined in the IT division. And so my role um, is a scrum master, which wow. is a bit of a random uh, random title. I know probably unfamiliar to most, but basically um, this type of role actually sits within a, I guess, an emerging um, project management methodology that right. really seeks to um, change the way we're working and flip, I guess, your traditional convention of command control, hierarchical mm-hmm. um, project management Um, to a more self-empowered and cross-functional and collaborative type of delivery model. 
And so with that, um, part of my role is to exhibit servant leadership as a scrum master and serve the needs of my teams that I'm responsible wow. for helping to deliver the, uh, the products, whether it's a mobile app, a website or an IT um, software that mm-hmm. we're delivering. So um, that's what I get the, the, the honour of doing on a day to day. That's actually really cool to hear that our government is that forward thinking because I've just been doing some reading in a couple of books. One's called Generation Alpha and one's called Hello Gen Z. And they're actually talking about the kind of leadership that people are looking for is so very different than the kind of leadership that, let's say, my grandparents responded to. And so they are looking for that kind of collaborative scrum master leadership. (laughs) What does a scrum master do day to day? Are you just like the office chair person or what? (laughs) Look, there is an element to trying to keep the team, you know, motivated and positive, that's for sure. But I think the day to day uh, for me looks like facilitating a number of meetings, um, whether it's, I guess, planning meetings um, Mm -hmm. and showcases of our products. Mm-hmm. My role, I guess, is to really surface the professional expertise that lies within the team, ensuring mm-hmm. that their voice is empowered. Um, I help to, I guess, coalesce um, any kind of conflicts that might arise. So I guess it's advantageous in my role where I'm not a manager of the people that I'm working mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to kind of impartially help to resolve those conflicts through empowering those people. Wow. Um on a, on a day-to-day. Um, I guess also as well, um, I'm part of a, a cohort of people that are trying to transform our department's ways of working. So mm-hmm. there's a cultural uplift um, and a, I guess, a, a process uplift that's happening that I'm a part of on a day-to-day basis as well. Do you know what is crazy about what you just just described? It's literally no 1 Corinthians 14.3. The three purposes of prophecy are like your role description to upbuild, encourage, and console, to meet people at their point of pain. Your role description is literally (laughs) the qualifiers for New Testament prophecy. Okay, this is going to be good, Brett. I get a feeling about this. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's quite funny you say that because I've mentioned to a couple of my mates you know, what do you, what, when they've asked me, what do you do on a day to day? And I said, to be quite honest, I feel like I'm a pastor in the corporate space. Like it's, <laughs> it's quite fascinating, really. So, what do you um, talk yeah, about? Totally. We never do um, any <laughs> disputes or any conflict management. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all roses up in here. People are perfect, right? <laughs> oh, exactly right. They get saved and they're, they're just perfect humanity. That's it. So, Brett, tell everyone, why do you feel called to serve in this space? Like, do you actually see this role as your ministry? What's that all about? Yeah, this is a really good question, Pastor Stacey. And I think um, I'm going to answer this in maybe a way that you may not necessarily expect me to answer. And so I I guess for me, I approach life as a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I try not to compartmentalise my life. You know, when Romans 12 talks about presenting ourselves our bodies yeah. as a living sacrifice. That's not compartmentalized. In um, in Matthew sixteen twenty four, um, you know, it says, "If anyone wants to be a follow my follower, Jesus is speaking. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, Come on and now. follow me." Mm-hmm. And so that's a holistic life before the Lord. And so the reason I say that is, I think sometimes, and and in with good intention, I think um, Christian church culture has compartmentalized our Sunday ministry life. Mm-hmm. And our 
um, maybe, you know, full-time paid ministry or itinerant ministry life from our Monday to Saturday life. And so mm-hmm. for me, um, I've I've been involved in, in church ministry for, for years and years and years, but mm-hmm. my whole life includes my family, my ministry to my mm-hmm. family, my ministry to my friends, my ministry to my career and my mm-hmm. job. And so um, in this season in my life, um, I do see this as what God has called me to do. And I do see this as my ministry. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's so important um, as, as believers that we, that we, well, this is my view anyway, that we, yeah. that we look at our lives in, in that holistic type of way. And I guess um, if I can encourage yeah. um, people who are listening on the other side as well, um, just to encourage us with this thought, you know, there are so many people I know that feel called to vocational ministry, and I think that's amazing. And mm. I myself, you know, have my own dreams in my own heart, mm. but I actually believe that God wants us to be faithful with the little yeah. and what we have in our hands now and not just yeah. wait. And yes. so that's why I see my role in my career as ministry, and I do feel called to serve in that space in this season of my life, and that may end. Um, yeah. But for now, that's what God has asked me to do. And so I'm going to be as faithful as I can, that hopefully in seasons to come, God can then trust me with something different and maybe more. That's so great. And you are talking the language of this podcast because just a few episodes ago, we did talk about how there's no such thing as a secular and a sacred divide. It's the whole of our life offered to God in worship and the Holy Spirit involved in every era of our life. So love that ultimate scrum master yeah you (laughs) so you were recently sharing with me an incredible story that I found just so inspiring and just got all over it about what recently happened in terms of the culture within your department and how you've been able to influence it would you mind sharing that story with everybody today yeah, of course. And I guess uh, for the listeners, uh, this is a very live um, unfolding of the story. So mm-hmm. it's been really cool. I've, I've joined the department at the end of June and we've come at a point where they're really ramping up this this transformation. And mm-hmm. uh, my upline, my, my manager, we've started to have different conversations around what this might look like. And mm-hmm. as I've begun to outwork you know, my day-to-day activities and he's kind of seen me in, in my um, mode, I guess he's identified the way that I go about what I do. I felt so humbled to be complimented by that. And that's, I guess, unpacked a conversation where Mm -hmm. he put a question to me and asked, what legacy would I want to leave in this department or in this organisation? And I didn't really know how to respond initially. Mm -hmm. And so I went away, thought about it and came back and said, um, to the best of you know my ability, came up with with my one-liner and said, I want to be known to deliver says he's you know deliver what he says he's going to deliver mm-hmm. and get other people to come and deliver with me mm. my manager actually challenged that in the best possible way and said I actually think there's more I think that's limited thinking and I said okay let's unpack that and so we started to talk about legacy and life legacy wow. and that started to yield a conversation of what legacy do I want to leave here here on this earth yep And I thought, okay, this is interesting because I've never spoken to Mm. a manager about these types of things before. My manager is actually an incredible guy, um, very kind of, I guess, spiritually awakened in that he's read many different religious texts, be it Mm -hmm. the Bible, the Quran, Mm -hmm. um, not a Christian, but nonetheless very open, studied Mm -hmm. organisational psychology, so 
has an awareness of emotions, feelings, thoughts, yeah. all those sorts of things. And yeah. so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a bold risk and I'm going to be really open and transparent. And I started to explain how, you know, I see that that God has placed dreams in my heart that I want to see outworked. And I feel that there's certain things that I'm going to be doing in ministry life in the years to come. You know, I want to be a part of making fit people feel empowered, discipled, encouraged. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to equip people. I want people to feel loved, accepted and valued. And so I started to talk about all of these things that are important to me um, in the life that I want to live on this earth and how Mm -hmm. I want to go about it. He said to me, this is great, Brett. And he said, all of these principles that you want to live your life by and the legacy you want to leave on this earth, I would love to see how we can articulate those and embed them into the ethos of our delivery methodology as we begin to transform this department. And I kind of was a little bit shell-shocked. And as I went away from that meeting, what I realised he was asking me to do was to bring what I believe are biblical principles and start to embed them into the day-to-day operating model of how we deliver and the culture of our organisation And so since then, we've started to unpack what that might look like and Mm -hmm. um, we've started to talk about, I guess, some of my own personal characteristics and traits that I bring to the role based on, I guess, you know, who I am as a believer. Um, But one of the things that I, and I I guess I try to make certain principles palatable because they need to, you know, work within a government landscape. But one of the things that I actually put to him um, to start to unpack with me were the fruits of the spirit. Wow. And I said, this is the only thing, um, his name is is Shakti, and I said, this is the only thing, Shakti, that I can't make palatable to government language. Can you help me? I do my best to live by the fruits of the spirit, be it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, if I've got my nine fruits um, (laughs) all there. You nailed it. And I said, granted, you know, I'm not the most patient person sometimes in different meetings, but I guess I want to do my best to exhibit these types of fruits. And so we've now started to go on a conversation to figure out how we can actually use these fruits of the spirit what, um, and start to embed them into what we do. And so it's been really um, quite fascinating for me, also, also very humbling um, mm. to, to be a part of this conversation Um, and be a part of bringing a a biblical and kingdom type of culture into my workplace. Um, That is so amazing. And this is actually one of the things that we do in the prophetic is we know when to bring a certain scripture in a certain situation, and that can be prophetic. I love that. Flippity do da day, so cool. So, before I ask you some more questions and pick your brain a bit more, to give us some scope and idea of the magnitude of the sector we're discussing, let's look at some facts. You know, I love my fact checking, everybody. So, at the end of June 2020, there were just over 2 million people employed in the Commonwealth government, the state, and local government. So, For those of us who are not familiar, the role of federal government is essentially that they are responsible for the conduct of national affairs. Its areas of responsibility are stated in the Australian Constitution and include defence and foreign affairs, trade, commerce and currency, immigration, postal services, telecommunications and broadcasting, air travel, most social services and pensions. And the federal government is also involved mainly through funding 
in many things largely that end up being carried out by the state, such as health and education, environmental issues and industrial relations. So the role of the state government, in contrast, is that under the Australian Constitution, the states are responsible for everything not listed as a federal responsibility. Love that for you, Brett. Hey, we don't want to do this. Boom, that's in your bucket. (laughs) So major state responsibilities include things like schools, hospitals, conservation and environment, roads, railways and public transport, things like public works, agriculture and fishing, industrial relations. How does fishing get a mention? That's so funny. Community services, sport and recreation, consumer affairs, police, prisons and emergency services. And so each state has its own constitution setting out its system of government. And it's actually a really interesting phenomenon that we are observing that we have never seen in our nation before. And that is that we are now experiencing a very different way of life dependent on which state we live in. And this used to be so much more uniform in Australia, but there is now a widening divide between states and a broadening sense of state autonomy. And so finally, local councils are concerned with matters that are close to our homes, such as building regulations and development, public health, local roads and footpaths, parks and playing fields, libraries, local environmental issues, waste disposal and many community services. They get all the fun stuff, the local government. So you can hear from those descriptions how wide-ranging this sphere is and you can imagine how many roles and responsibilities within each of these spaces there are and what they could be. So, Brett, I want to ask you as someone who works in this space and I'm particularly thinking now of our, our politicians What do you think motivates most people who end up serving in public office? Because the reason I wanted to hear this from you, as someone who's up close and personal, is I think that often as the public, we can make a lot of observations from a distance about politicians and make a lot of really incorrect assumptions about who they are as a person. And so I I want us to humanise these people why did most of them get into public service and public office? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question, um, actually. And I think most people are joining the public office because they genuinely want to make a difference yeah. in society. Yeah. I mean, you very comprehensively uh, taught me a few things or two as you've, as you've spoken <laughs> through all the different jurisdictions, um, Pastor Stacey. But I think what that really highlights is the breadth of what our government is trying to tackle. And yeah. I think... People do join the public office and the public service with a sole intention to represent their jurisdiction, be it federal, Mm. state or local, in the best way that they know how, and they genuinely want to make a difference. I think sometimes the tensions that we are are faced with within the government is we're responsible for representing a democratic view. The Mm. challenge with a democratic view in this day and age, in 2021, is we're faced with more minority views than ever before. And actually the majority view has actually um, been quite watered down. And so there are so many views that as a public office, we are trying to represent, we are trying Mm -hmm. to support, and it makes it increasingly challenging to please the broader consumption of our communities that Mm -hmm. we serve. I say that to say, I think genuinely our motives are always pure 
Um, but I think it does get really challenging and I think yeah. people can often question the motive behind an individual. But let's also be realistic here. As, as more influence is given and, and, and that comes in the form of power, you know, as humans, mm. um, unless we have the character to be able to sustain mm. that level of influence, mm-hmm. that can trip us up too. And wow. so I think these are all of the types of tensions, I think, that in a very public figurehead type of government landscape, the, these type of figureheads and politicians that we're speaking about, they're faced with that. But I do believe that genuinely they want to make a difference and represent their communities and and jurisdictions well. That's a really, really great explanation. When I was studying my degree at university, I I did a double and one side of that was political science and I was at university in Brisbane. And so a lot of my lecturers were actually ex-Labor Party members uh, for that whole four years. And it was really interesting the reason they were lecturing and no longer serving in the party is because most of them got into this sector, this sphere, to serve and yet felt like they were unable to serve their constituents, serve their party, or eventually even serve what they knew was right because of some of the constraints of public office. Mm -hmm. So I think it can be very easy for us sometimes to sit back and make judgments about these people without in any leadership position, we're only ever getting part of the picture. And it can sometimes be very difficult for them to even lead by their convictions or the party's convictions or even what would serve people well. So it can be a really difficult role, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I think it can be quite challenging, particularly as the government, it's really important to remember that there are various parties And so one of the challenges that can often be faced with with your intention to serve and make meaningful difference is you're actually up in competition with many Mm -hmm. views Mm -hmm. within our government, many Mm -hmm. different parties that are that have their own political affiliations and their own agendas. Mm -hmm. And that can actually make it quite challenging for, Mm -hmm. you know, individuals and and cohorts to make a, a path forward. So I, I absolutely agree. It is, is, it, it is a challenging space. Yep. Yeah, and I actually love something else you mentioned before about how the majority is being watered down. There's actually this misconception, even when it comes to Christianity and our beliefs, Brett, that we are the minority, whereas actually statistically, and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, take every other religious belief in our nation Christians still outnumber all of those together times five. Right. So we're even being told we're the minority, our view is minority, incorrect. Right. We're actually by a long way still the majority. So right. right now we do actually see some policy being outworked and there'll be a lot of factors involved in that that represent minority and not majority. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. So Brett, given our current climate, how can we pray for people who work in this sphere? Like what are the greatest needs right now? Yeah, again, a big question. Um, And I see such power in prayer, right? Like there is so much power in in, in what prayer does. Mm. This might sound a little bit cliche, but our government needs more wisdom than it's ever needed um, before. You know, in Proverbs 28, there's a scripture um, that says when there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily, but wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. And I think wow. that's what we need to be speaking over our leaders today. 
We need to be speaking, declaring and interceding for wisdom and knowledge, supernatural knowledge and supernatural wisdom than ever before. Not the wisdom and the knowledge that I guess the Mm -hmm. earth would necessarily seek for, but one that's actually going to bring kingdom outcomes on this earth. Yeah, and and I I think that's the most important thing right now. And I think also too empowering um, empowering the the purity, I guess, of the office um, of government. I think um, we need to be, you know, declaring against evil and all of the, the, I guess, the challenges that can often come up against pure political motives and really be protecting our leaders in prayer, protecting our government officials in prayer, because I don't think if we were to live, live, a, live a day in the life of one of the politicians, I think we'd see a very, very different life. And yeah. I don't think we'd, um, I don't think we'd want to experience no. their, their day yeah. to day. So I think it's really important that we're interceding for their protection, yeah. for their covering, um, that they can actually outwork their their roles um, with that pure motive that I believe that they they intend to to deliver on. Well, and imagine if they just all got saved. Hello, right. can we just <laughs> pray for the salvation, for the salvation. at a minimum? Um, you know, if people, it, it can be easy to be overwhelmed by how how do I even pray for these people? How do I pray for government, particularly if I don't necessarily agree with policy? You've just given a fantastic key because it's not subjective. The word of God is the truth. It's spirit inspired and breathed and it works and it has life. And so even that scripture from Proverbs 28, if you want to pray for the government, declare that over your politicians by name. Personalize that scripture over them right there. That's the sword of the spirit that's going to start breaking things off their life, breaking things in the spiritual atmosphere. Has the there been thing, yeah, oh, sorry, on. I was gonna say, Pastor Stacey, the other thing that's also really interesting, as as I've worked in government departments, yeah. there's actually quite a significant cohort of Christians that work in the public sector. Really? Um, in fact, um, within my division, 50% of my directors are Christians. What? And I just found this out in the last two weeks. And so I guess the other thing I would I would I would say is important for us to be praying into is that the Christians that are working in this industry use their voice more than ever before, that they feel empowered, that they would rise up and start to have conversations, you know, like the ones that I've um, tried my best to have, you know, with yeah. with my um with my upline, because I think that's really what's going to make a difference that as Christians, if we can actually exhibit the love um, and, the, and the life of the faith that we profess to believe, um, and that can start to infiltrate into what we do, I think that's that even of itself is going to move mountains, so to speak, and start yes. to actually change the landscape of our government. Well, literally shift the mountain of government that is just brilliant what you've just said imagine if the 50 percent of that workforce who are saved all of them started talking about how do we embed the fruit of the spirit mm-hmm. next minute we got a government <laughs> that's got a culture of the fruit of the spirit boom jokes on you that is awesome right. so can you share a time when you've heard the voice of the holy spirit in your workplace and then reported or act or acted on that in your job within the government yeah, I think I'm actually in it on a journey at the moment of trying to discover what this is looking like for myself. Yeah. And so I guess I say that to say I've really tried my best over the years to just be a vessel that God, want, God wants to use on a day-to-day basis. And I try mm-hmm. and use my Holy Spirit instinctive intuition, if you would, 
the gift that God has given me to discern, to mm. respond in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was as I was thinking about this particular question, as I was preparing, um, I did I did think about um, there was an instance where we were under strategically we had a, a quite a bit of a roadblock trying to get something across the line, a particular deliverable. There were funding implications around that. An idea came to my mind to go and speak to another one of the directors. And I guess to give a bit of context, this particular director didn't have a relationship with the um, director that I was speaking to. And so on paper, this strategy didn't really make much sense at all, but I just felt that this is what we needed to do. And I said to, I said to the director, I was chatting to, look, I'm happy to take the hit. I can have the conversation and, and, and we can go from there. And so I went and had the conversation and actually not only did we get what we needed to get across the line with support and advocacy from this director, mm-hmm. um, but we also got um, an open hand of funding. So that was, that was, I guess, one example where I right. guess I had this instinctive feeling that I needed to do a particular thing that on paper didn't make much sense. Right. I guess on a people level, in one of my previous um, job opportunities, there was a staff member who... I noticed was starting to experience some incredible mental health challenges. Right. It was about seven o'clock on a week, a weeknight. Um, so work, we were, we were done for the day, well and truly done. And I felt really prompted to call him. And that's not something that I would usually do. I wouldn't call my colleagues after hours, work mm-hmm. life balance, boundaries, yeah. all those things um, are really important, but I really felt to call him and he picked up the phone and he was in a bucket of tears. And he was actually um, about to um, self-harm. And so, you know, it was just a little uh, prompt that I had in a a moment to reach out, didn't know why, but I reached out and got to be a part of then an ongoing conversation um, that really was around helping to support him and what was some pretty horrific um, mental health and, and physical harm challenges that he was experiencing. And so, yeah, that was a really interesting time. And honestly, I can't nail that down to anything else but a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yep. and I love that because what would have happened if you hadn't have listened or heeded that prompting? You know, Brett, you mentioned before on paper like this kind of just knowing that's what you were meant to do. And we're going to do a future podcast on the way different people hear God's voice. But I think you're a knower not N-O-A-H, but a K-N-O-W-E-R. And these are people who hear God's voice by just knowing something should be a certain way. I just know we're meant to do it this way. And often they don't think of themselves as spiritual as the people who dream the dreams and see the visions and, you know, hear the audible voices. But no, that is just as valid and just as prophetic when you act on it Um, that is absolutely one of the ways that God speaks to people completely biblical. And I don't have time to go into all the teaching on it now, but that is just as valid in the prophetic, this sense of knowing. And when we had the mind of Christ, why wouldn't we know what his thoughts are about situations and things and strategy? So thank you for sharing that because it's a bit of a different perspective than areas we've spoken about before. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So Maybe my last question for you is what from the Bible inspires you to operate prophetically and with integrity in the governmental sphere? <laughs> Another big question because I feel like I could draw on so many different I examples. only ask the big questions, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
I look at the life of, um, particularly in the last 18 months, I've been really struck by the, the life of Moses. Yeah. Moses was brought before a pretty wicked king. Yeah. And, you know, Pharaoh was out for, out for evil. He was yeah. out for blood. Yeah. Moses was hearing from God on what to report to Pharaoh, full knowing that yeah. either God would harden Pharaoh's heart or mm-hmm. Pharaoh's heart would simply just be hardened. Mm-hmm. Yet Moses still took the risk. He was still bold enough to report what God was saying. Yeah. And I think that's so encouraging for us, particularly right now, because mm. I feel like at every turn there's definitely risks. Yep. Um, and reasons why we maybe should or should not profess what we what what we yep. feel that God is saying. But I actually I love that we can glean from someone like the life of Moses. Um, and take that boldness, take that courage, and go ahead and do it anyway. I mean, if you look at once once Pharaoh's demise was, you know, yeah. eventuated, I guess. Yeah. Moses oh, he drowned. He drowned yeah. big time. Very, very much so. <laughs> Moses Moses ended up, you know, architecting the tabernacle, the Ark yeah. of the Covenant. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that this is the beginning of, of yeah. you know, your modern-day church expression. Mm. And I think... To see, and not to mention the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? So the, yeah. the laws of that day. I think it's quite fascinating to see the life of Moses mm. and how he just simply kept open-handed before God. But even when God was, you know, was thinking about punishing the mm-hmm. the, um, the Israelites for their rebellion, yeah. Moses went back to God and said, "Please don't." Yep. And he's interceding on their behalf. And there's yep. this servant leadership mm. coming right through Moses' mm. life. And so I think for me, in particular in the last 18 months, I've really gleaned a lot from Moses and how I can apply that in mm. my day-to-day job um, because I want to be someone who does take risks yeah. um, for the sake of truth mm-hmm. and I serve the people that are around me and I advocate for them, yeah. but I also tell them what they need to hear when they yeah. need to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I think Moses does that so well and it inspires yes. me to do the same. He does do that so well. He is a governmental prophet because he's hearing from God and making laws for the people. And let me encourage you, you're already doing that. You just told us a story before where I don't know many other people who's sitting with a government manager official, hey, what do you want to leave as a legacy? And you end up in a conversation about fruit of the spirit. I don't know many people who would do that, Brett. You're already doing what you just said are like goals. So Mm -hmm. you better get a bigger one, my friend, because (laughs) you are already living that one. And I just want people to be inspired by that today. Like who knows what will open up to you if you don't hide the Jesus inside of you when the conversation opens up. Mate, we are so proud of you and so blessed to have you in our church, in my life, but also for the people listening today. If you work in the governmental sphere, uh, listen to this because This is somebody taking their ordinary everyday life where God has placed them and allowing God to use them how he wants to, hearing his voice and obeying it. And it's just brilliant. It's what this podcast is all about. So thank you so much, Brett, for being with us. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Pastor Stacey. You are so welcome. And you've got to drop that pastor thing. (laughs) So to all of our listeners, please do all the things subscribe, share, all the things, tag us on socials. 
And I don't say that like, oh, boring, boring, but just because I'm not great at that part of it, but we love it when you do it. It especially encourages my guests when we hear stories about what you're doing. We love getting your testimonies. Also, can you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight one person in your world who works in this space and ask him to give you a prophetic word for them and then step out. I took you through this process at the end of last week's podcast, which went a little bit longer. So if you didn't make it to the end, you'll actually hear me walk you through the process of how to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight somebody for you, how to pray for them, how to deliver a prophetic word for them. Because trust me, this sphere needs it right now. So I want to finish with this quote, again from James W. Gold. As a prophetic individual... Just make yourself available to God and stay flexible. You never know when you might meet an influential person or find yourself behind the scenes where you can pray and exercise kingdom influence. Brett, can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? So kingdom consultants, prophetic solutionists, go forth and be all that God has called you to be. You have the full backing of heaven behind you and you have my prayers. Talk soon.